This is a great moment. I want to welcome you here, our Stafford campus. I want to welcome Fredericksburg and all of you watching online. Listen, the new year is always about a start, and you're here on the first Sunday of the year. Come on. That's good. You're already off to a good start. You're already off to a good start. Tell your neighbor, I believe you'll be back next Sunday. Come on, tell them. <laughs> well, listen, we know that a new year is always a new beginning and lots of things can happen. New commitments, new patterns, new habits are formed and a start, taking a step to begin something new. I know at the beginning of the year, people always say, okay, this is the time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step with my diet this year. Or I'm going to take a step with my exercise. Or I'm going to take a step getting my finances in order. Because coming out of Christmas, it's like we've wrecked it all, right? And then it's like, oh, it's a new year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a class this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a book this year. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read a word this year or something. You know? I just want to start something new. Maybe this is the year you want to run a marathon or this is the year you're going to begin. But listen, this year is, is different. It feels different. 2020, it's like we're in a sci-fi movie, right? I mean, we're in the future, 2020. This should be the year you start a business or something. Or this should be a year where you, you, you really do get out of debt or, or maybe you get married. Come on, this is a good year, 2020, a year to have a baby, right? Come on. This is a year to do something. Just inc- Look, All the parents are laughing at that one. <laughs> but isn't it interesting? This is the beginning for a lot of us on this new Day, this new moment. Listen, I'll be honest with you. The last three weeks in my family have been so full, it's been hard to kind of think towards the future. Three weeks ago, I've shared this multiple times, but my daughter, my oldest daughter, got married. And we had this, uh, yeah, thank you. And we added a member in our family, Cody. We couldn't be more, more happy to have him be a part of our family. And what an amazing moment. And then right as that was over, the next two days, we did eight services at the Mount. Come on, Christmas at the Mount. I mean, two campuses. We even did it in two different languages. You can say three if you count Texan. I mean, we did it all. We did it all, and then we drove down to Florida to go see our middle daughter, and on January the 2nd, my family kidnapped me, took me to Hollywood Studios, and we celebrated my 50th birthday at Star Wars Land, right? Listen, I, I know what you're thinking. Come on, he looks older than 50. Come on, Pastor. Listen, no, it has been full. And so three weeks, I'm thinking, what, what can I top this year? I mean, it's all downhill from here, right? No, listen, I really am excited. I'm excited about this new year. I just think God's about to do something amazing. And, man, I don't want to miss it. And I'm excited from a personal level, a family level, and a church. What is God going to do through the mouth this year? And we get to be a part of it. I mean, I just, I just thank God, thank you, that we get this opportunity to grow with you. I'll be honest with you, every year about this time, I do want to evaluate some things, and that's what we often do. We examine ourselves, and two verses or two parts in the Bible, two sound bites out of Jesus' mouth that I often go back to when I'm about to start something new. I go back to the great commandment. Come on, y'all know that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then I go back to the end of Matthew, the great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I commanded you, right? This idea of that's what I want my life given to. The great commandment and the great mission, the great commission. 
And so I use those often on the beginning of a year to say, God, how can I love you more in this new day, in this new year? And I do that. I say, God, I want to love you more with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. And I actually set some goals based on how I can love God and walk with God. Come on, some of y'all are like that too, aren't y'all? Don't you want to, don't you want to walk a little closer in your faith this year? I know for me, I do. I don't want to miss, I don't want to miss a moment of what God wants for my life. But here's what I, I've discovered as I was thinking through my goals. One of the goals in terms of loving God with my mind, I want to read more in the new year. And y'all know that. Readers are leaders, right? We got we to gotta be challenged by the things that we read to encourage our lives and to keep us moving ahead. And so reading books for me has always been a value of mine every year. And so I knew we were about to get in a car. We're going to drive a long distance. I can't read and drive at the same time. But hey, Audible, man. Come on, Audible. Audible. I can download a few books and I can listen. I mean, this is going to be like 13, 14, 15, 19, 20 hours to get down to Florida. And I can listen. And sure enough, I, I got a book and I listened to it in the first five hours of the ride and it was a book that kind of challenged me because I'm always talking about how you start is important but this book this guy John Acuff said it's not how you start it's actually how you finish and that was the title of his book and right out of the gate of this book he said this did you know that 92 percent of New Year's goals or New Year's resolutions 92 percent of them fail Happy New Year. <laughs> I mean, aren't you glad you came for that motivational talk today? He said 100% of people will start, but only 8% will actually finish. So he said it's not the start that matters. It's the ability to what? Finish. Finish. Now, he said there's two big things that get in the way of us finishing. Here's what he said. I'm going to give it to you right now. He said, he said one is this idea of perfectionism. We want to do it a certain way. We want to get it right. And the first moment we mess it up, I mean, the first time we miss the workout, the first time we go ahead and go off the reservation and eat bad, it's like, oh, man, I messed up. I'll wait till next year and we'll try again. <laughs> Perfectionism is the killer because we, we start to feel the shame, the guilt. And I don't want to feel that. I would just rather quit and distance and say, I'll try again another day. And, and perfectionism will block it all the time. And then he said right behind that is we set too big of goals. He said, cut the goal in half and start getting some wins, some success, and then you can ramp up to the next goal. He said, that person sitting on the couch that says, I'm going to run a marathon. Listen, you might want to try a 10K first or maybe a 5K. How about a K? <laughs> that might be a good first step. Make that your goal, and then you can ramp it up. Listen, he said, those are the two reasons why people quit. It's too hard. It's too overwhelming, right? And so this idea, of, it's not about the start, it's about the finish. It made me think about this, because every time I go to my garage, I get to see all these things in my garage that remind me I've started some things. There's a lot of things I haven't finished. Matter of fact, a few times I attempted to clean the garage this last year. I, I, I have a kayak in my garage that I bought at a garage sale several years ago, because I'm going to start kayaking. And my wife... She stumbles on that kayak, and every time she does, she's like, why do you have this kayak? You're never going to use it. And so this year, I did move it off the floor, and I hung it on hooks on the wall. And it's still there as a reminder, one day I'm going to kayak, right? And then right by that, I found this year, I got a set of golf clubs in there. I don't know when the last time I played golf, but one day I'm going to finish. 
You know, and right behind that is a tackle box. I haven't fished in decades. And it's like all these reminders of things that I've started, but I haven't finished. Come on, you got your list too, don't you? To make it more ironic, after I listened to that Audible book and I got all the way down to Florida, I realized I already had that book on my shelf. I started it. I never finished it. <laughs> so this year is going to be different. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Listen, if you want a new year, if you want a new decade, then you're going to have to do something different for it to be different. What do they say? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome is called insanity. So if we want to change, we got we to gotta make some changes. But I want to challenge you to see something different because sometimes the change might be how we see things. And so I've titled this series, Flip the Script. Let's flip the script. So today I'm going to begin a teaching in Matthew 5. And if some of you have already turned there, you're smiling, you're like, I know these verses. This is actually uh, the most famous verse or the famous sermon that Jesus preached. It's called Sermon on the Mount. The Mount, that'd be a good name for a church. But listen to me, Sermon on the Mount, and he's, he's preaching these. We believe that these series of teachings actually happened over a series of days where he was drawing crowds. People were there, they were listening and learning, and he's preaching over a series of days. But what I want us to see is at the peak of Jesus's popularity, the peak of his ministry, he's drawing thousands to come and hear in the Galilean region. Now, I actually took a team of people last year to Israel, and we went to this location right off the Sea of Galilee, right next to Capernaum, and we actually went to this location on the hillside that's affectionately called the Hill of the Beatitudes. Now, you're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount, the front part of it is known as the Beatitudes. And so that's kind of where we get. We believe this is the location where Jesus actually sat up on that hillside, first with his disciples, and then taught the crowds of people that were listening on that hillside. And the way it worked acoustically would have been beautiful in how he could have communicated, even without a PA system, to make this happen. Now, I want you to imagine that today because as we listen in and lean in on this, I want you to see because Jesus actually is saying some things here that is going to flip the script to how the Jewish mind and the people of that day would have thought about some things about God. And, and I, I wonder today again, who here, who at Fredericksburg, who online wants to grow? Come on, I'm going to ask that question. Do you want to grow this year? Do you want to grow? Come on, wouldn't this be a good year to flip the script on some relationships? Wouldn't it be a good year to maybe flip the script on maybe some emotional health as well as some physical health? Wouldn't this be a year to flip the script in your finances? Wouldn't this be a year to flip the script in your future? Or what about this? Wouldn't it be a good year to flip the script in your faith? Where you really began to get some traction behind what you've always longed to do and to walk in your faith. Listen to me. Flip the script. Both campuses, say that with me. Flip the script. Flip the script. All right, now with our minds there, I want you to imagine being on that hillside that day. Watching Jesus up on that hill. Watch what it says here. The writer Matthew is giving us something here to kind of view into. He says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And here's what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, 
for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now listen to me. I'm going to ask a question right out of here. Do you want to be blessed this year? Sure. Why would we not want to be blessed? Do you realize right here what Jesus is giving the people then and there, what he's giving the disciples, what he's giving the crowd to, he's giving them the blessings that he wants for every believer. Now, I want you to look a little closer at this because what he's talking about here is, is more than just good moral teaching. This is more than just a code of ethics. This right here, he is speaking about the character of what God wants to do inside of your life and my life and what could come out where on the outside people could begin to see our lives and say, I see the kingdom of God in that person. You see, there's something here God wants for us. Now, I want you to see it this way because, see, Jesus Jesus wants faithful and sincere obedience, not just a religious show. And as we look here a little closer, Jesus realized that the Pharisees, the scribes, and all the other teachers were misinterpreting the law that God had already given to the people. God had given these words to the people through Moses. And now, years later, they're twisting them and taking them to a place that there was never intended. And so Jesus is going to show us something new here as he's flipping the script in that day. Now, we're going to look at a book uh, where this is recorded. It's called the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. Now, if you know the Bible, in the New Testament, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are referred to as gospel books. Matthew is actually the longest of the gospels, the recorded gospels. Now, why do I give you that detail? Because I'm asking you, as you prepare for Sundays, we're going to read through Matthew together. And I want you to see something here because, see, Matthew is one of the disciples. Come on. And he's wanting them to see something about Jesus. Now, Matthew, his assignment was to write primarily to a, a Jewish crowd. And what he's wanting them to do is to connect the dots of who Jesus really is. He's wanting He's wanting the crowds that day to get this. He's wanting you and I to get this. He's wanting Kanye West to get this. Here it is. Jesus is king. That is the theme of the book of Matthew. Jesus is king. And he's wanting them because Jewish people are waiting for what? They're waiting for a king. And he's wanting them to see this is the real story of what God has been up to. He's given you a king. His name is Jesus. Now, there's a lot of other things that are affecting the mindset of that day. Can, can I do a little bit of teaching here on this first Sunday? I'm going to do it anyway, so I'm asking you all to help me, right? <laughs> there's like four big groups that were influencing the way Jewish people would have thought. 
There's the group of Pharisees, there's the group of Sadducees, there's the group of Essenes, and there's also the group of Zealots. Now, I'm going to put the definitions up here and let you see a little bit so you can take a picture when it's all up there if you want that. I think this could be huge and helpful to know this would have been the thought of that day. If you were Jewish, you might be influenced by one or more of these groups. Now, the Pharisees, they promised freedom and blessing if people would return to the to the Jewish fathers, to the traditions of the Jewish fathers. So that's why they always felt like they were guarding the book, right? They were trying to police people. They were trying to call people back to the Jewish traditions. Now the Sadducees was a smaller group, a more elite group. They were actually a pretty wealthy group, and they had an agenda too. They promised blessing if people would just simply update the religion. They said, we need to become more liberal and more free in our thinking. Sadducees often argued with the Pharisees because they even looked at, viewed some things like, like resurrection is different and how they even kind of understood that. And then you get this third group, the Essenes. They would be more like the Puritans of our day or maybe the Amish, right? What are they saying? They believe salvation and blessing came by separating from the world around you. Now, have you ever heard of John the Baptist? Crazy John the Baptist, kind of dressed weird, kind of weird. He was an Essene. He was one that kind of stayed outside, away from, and he said, we got to separate from. And this was kind of more of that way of thinking. And then there was this one last group, the Zealots. This was a revolutionary group that sought to overthrow Rome by force. They would even attack and kill people in the name of Jewish patriotism. Y'all ever heard of Peter, the disciple? He was a zealot. That's why when they come to arrest Jesus in the garden, what does Peter do? Pulls out the sword, right? He's ready to walk out somebody's ear, right? He's what? He's just saying, this is what we got to do. We got to fight, right? And Jesus says, no, that's not the way we're going to do this thing, Peter. Put away the sword, Peter, right? You begin to kind of see. But see, depending on what group was influencing you, this would have been your way of thinking. And so Jesus, through the Sermon on the Mount, he's doing something greater for us if we'll listen. He's taking it to a higher spiritual call. What is he basically saying? We got to love God and we got to love others. We got to love God, we got to love others. And you're going to see this all through his sermon of Beatitudes. How do we love God? How do we love others? They go together. So maybe the personal question today, right here on the first Sunday of the year, is Jesus king over you? It's one thing to say he's king. It's another to say he rules and reigns over my life. Is Jesus your king? Come on, Fredericksburg. Is Jesus your king? That's a personal question. You've got to answer. But yet in this, as we read these Beatitudes, you're going to find they're reading us. And the Beatitudes are going to reveal some things of where we're falling short or some things that we don't really want to do. Right? And as we look at this, Jesus is flipping the script. And I want you to see this. So let's look at the one Beatitude we're going to look at today. Come on, just one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'll ask both campuses again. Who wants to be blessed this year? And we all go, yes, me. Who wants to be poor this year? Who wants to be poor in spirit? Because that's what the call is. Come on, Jesus, what in the world are you saying here to be poor in the spirit? What does Jesus mean? Listen, he's going to flip something here. I want us to see it. Now listen, in order for me to describe what poor in spirit is, let me first explain it from the opposite meaning. You see, 
I don't think it's hard for me to convince you. We live in a world, we live in a world that loves to brag. That loves to brag about achievement, accomplishment, and being what? Self-sufficient, being self-made, being self-centered, right? Isn't that the culture we live in? Who in the world would want to ever admit, I can't achieve, I can't accomplish? Who would ever want to admit, I'm not good enough? You see, we don't want to admit that we're poor and needy, yet that's exactly what's happening here. And listen, your stubbornness to that, my stubbornness to that, is actually our link to original sin. Y'all know what original sin is, right? Adam and Eve in the garden. You remember what they originally did? What caused them to step away, to do things their own way? Come on, that, that is our link. Our stubbornness is linked to that as well. What is it? Do you know what that is? Do you know what that is? It's, it's the same thing in your life and my life that keeps, me, keeps us from celebrating someone else's success. It's the same thing that keeps you and I from initiating an apology. It's the same thing that keeps us arguing and arguing and arguing at a point instead of admitting that we're wrong. It's the same thing that we do that keeps us from admitting when we actually need help. It's the same thing that causes us to power up, make excuses, and even go so far to lie as to keep from losing. It's the same thing that causes us to buy a lot of stuff to impress people who aren't even paying attention to us. Come on, what's the sin I'm talking about? Do y'all know it yet? Any guesses yet? Listen, the opposite of poor in spirit is to be full of ourselves. You know what that word is? It's called what? Pride. Pride. Good. It's pride. And yet, in in this Sermon on the Mount, in these Beatitudes, Jesus starts in a place talking about pride. All right, here we go. Two campuses. Raise your hand if you struggle with pride. No, I wouldn't put my hand up on that one either. (laughs) Can I tell you, pride is easy to see in people. It's harder to see in ourselves. It's harder to own that in our own lives. Now listen, I'm not talking about good pride. I'm not talking about being proud about a passion or proud about an ability or proud about our relationships, maybe our family, our kids. That's a a pride that actually inspires people. I'm talking about a self-centered pride here. The self-centered pride that holds you, holds me back from what God wants for our lives. I'm talking about a pride that, that often, isn't it interesting, it appears to be strong and confident on the outside, but on the inside, pride rules with fear. And in that the tension of it, it's this fear, this fear of failing, this fear of losing, this fear of being found out. And, and what's tricky about pride is it looks different in different types of people. For some people, pride will be loud and obnoxious and arrogant. Come on, some of y'all know a friend like that, right? And then pride could also be passive aggressive. It could be the person that withdraws, that sulks, that gets quiet, that shuts down. Pride can look like that too. And yet, pride is always, the enemy's always going to lure us to cover up our insecurities with what? With pride. With pride. And I want you to see this today. This is where Jesus begins his sermon here today. And and I think there's something here for us. Look at this. Pastor Andy Stanley says it this way, and I just had to share it with you. He said this. He said, pride promises to make us bigger, to make us better, and to make us more important. And all along the way, what is it doing? It's stripping us of our capacity to what? 
to what? To connect. To connect with God and to connect with others. If you're a note taker, come on, either campus or online, you need to write this down. Pride diminishes your capacity to three things. Your capacity to admit, your capacity to acknowledge, and your capacity to apologize. Now let me share that for a minute. Let me flesh this out. Your, it diminishes your capacity to admit when you're wrong, to admit when you need help, to admit that you can't do something. Pride diminishes your capacity also to acknowledge, to acknowledge a flaw, to acknowledge a fault. It keeps you from acknowledging someone else to affirm and encourage someone else. And pride will diminish your capacity to be able to apologize. Y'all know what that is, right? I am sorry. I forgive you. Right? Please forgive me. This idea of pride. Pride keeps us from saying what we need to say. Pride keeps us from hearing what we need to hear. Pride keeps us from giving what we need to give. Pride is a prison. And it blocks everyone out. And it locks us in. And yet, this is, this is exactly where Jesus begins. David in the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 10, verse 4. Listen to this verse. He said this. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In his thoughts, there is what? Come on. There's no room for God. Is that true about your life today? Does God have a voice in your life? Is God authority over you? Is God king? Is Jesus king? You see, pride, come on, pride always comes before the fall, right? And yet it trips up believers again and again and again. But that's where Jesus flips the script. That's where he wants us to see something different. Listen, listen, the enemy, you know what he wants to do? He wants you and I to feel embarrassed about being poor in spirit. That's why he beats us up. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not what poor in spirit's about. Poor in spirit is, I call that person blessed. Isn't that interesting? What does that mean? Listen, let me give it to you this way. Poor in spirit is spiritually realizing that you are empty, that you are poor, that you are bankrupt without Jesus. You can't get saved unless you realize that you are poor in spirit. You can't get saved until you admit you can't save yourself. You can't get saved until you admit you're not good enough. That's what it's about. But here's the thing. Who did Jesus begin the Beatitudes for? His who? Disciples. They're already following. He's not trying to convince them to follow. This is where we got to lean in a little bit. This is actually a believer message today. This is a believer message because the truth is, the truth is there's an opposite of pride that God wants for our life. Now, here's where I want you to see because salvation isn't achieved, it's received. But I love what Eugene Peterson did with the Message Bible. And I know he devotionally writes out of Scripture, but what he says about Matthew 5, 3, it's just so rich. He says this. He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. We never think of the end of the rope being a good thing. It's the best thing. What does he say there? Why is it good? Because with, with that, it's less of you and there's more of God and there's more of God's rule in your life. I titled today's message, End of the Rope. For us to awaken, that's actually a good posture to see ourselves 
bankrupt without Jesus. But I want you to see this, is that when we get Jesus, we get to come to the end of ourselves. That's how it happens. It comes through a posture. Listen, humility. In the Beatitudes, we learn greatness in humility. To be poor in spirit is all about being humble. Come on, the antidote to pride is humility. God is trying to help us see something here. Jesus is trying to share this with the disciples and now with the crowd of people. He wants us to awaken to something. Listen, if pride is a prison, then humility will set you free. And yet in this, this is a hard practice for us in the culture that we live in. But real greatness is found not in being self-serving, but serving others. That's the real freedom. That's the real call of what God wants for our lives. But that's where it gets tricky. Because we begin a new year, we make new commitments, we make new promises. Come on, this is the year, God, I'm going to walk with you better. This is the year I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have a quiet time every day. I'm going to go to church on Sundays. Man, I'm going to get in a group this year. I'm going to grow in a group. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve inside the church. I'm going to get outside the walls. I'm going to serve my world. I'm going to give financially. And we make these commitments. And then guess what happens? We start out in it, and then we what? We fall flat in one of those ways. And we go, oh. And already we get defeated again. And we quit. Listen to me. The opposite of perfectionism isn't failure. The opposite of perfectionism is to get back up and finish. That's what life in Christ is all about, is you first confessing, I can't save myself. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And then to walk in a life with Jesus is to continue to wake up each day remembering, I can't apart from Jesus. Does that speak to somebody today? Because when I look at the truth here, this is what can happen. This can actually be good for us. When we fall in our mistakes, when we realize that we can't, we can't always get it right. Listen, your mistakes can actually be your friend if it helps reveal to you that you need more grace, you need more mercy, you need more Jesus. And some of us start to live in a way where we think we can live apart from God. And I'm telling you, the same humility that saved you is the same humility it's going to take to walk daily with Jesus. Come on, it's time to flip the script, isn't it? When I thought about a story I could share, I, I'm a sports guy. I know some of y'all are too. And There's great metaphor in sports. And, and I was thinking about here we are in college playoff and then now professional playoff. And I know some of y'all's teams won yesterday and some of your teams lost yesterday. And some of your teams didn't even make it yesterday. So... I get that, I get that. I think we were all kind of pleased about one loss yesterday, but I'm not going to go there. Yeah. They finally let somebody else win, right, you know. But I was thinking about college, and I thought about, you know, here we're going into the last final game of the season, and Clemson, man, Clemson, wow, Clemson. I, you know, I'm not a Clemson fan. Any Clemson fans here today? Yeah, good. Listen, Clemson sleeps in, because y'all didn't cheer all morning till now, so praise God. I could, I could see the orange. I could see the colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, Clemson, listen, you don't have to love them or hate them. I, I, I'm in love with their coach. I love Dabble Sweeney. That man loves Jesus. And anytime you put a mic in his face, he's going to tell you about his love for Jesus. Last year, they won in such a way that after the game, he was just so excited for his team. And, of course, this is a moment where you can brag on yourself, right? And they put the mic in front of his face. And I just so loved his answer. 
They asked him about, well, what's his thoughts after this whole deal? He said, let me tell you this. Every year we have a theme for the year. And I give a theme and I give them one word for us to rally and unite our team. Come on. He said, the theme for our year, and he said this on national TV, he said, the theme for our year was joy. And he said, let me tell you what that acronym stands for. It's Jesus first, others second, and then you. Jesus, others, you. And I'm going, here's this guy, come on, D1 program, national program, national TV, unapologetic to say, we've based our whole team on Jesus first, others second, and then ourselves. And I'm thinking, that's, that's rich right there. Joy. Joy. Come on, we just did a whole series talking about no joy. And I know some of you are getting your houses back in order. Listen, can I just encourage you? Don't pack up joy when you put up the Christmas decorations. We, we need to live and walk in joy all year long. Are you with me? But I'm talking about the kind of joy that says Jesus Others, you. Jesus, others, you. You want to talk about setting goals for your life? Start with joy. Man, there's something even about that that I just love. Because what does it do? When you set a goal, you're what? You start with your purpose. What's your why? You know what my why is? Jesus first. That's my why. I want to, I want to love you, God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've got to be Lord of my life. I need Jesus to be king over every year of my life. Come on, start with, start with that. And then to go from purpose, I love that it's about people. Too many of our goals are about ourselves. Come on. That's so small. Let it be about how am I going to serve people in my life around me. I want people to be blessed because Jesus is living through me. And then to think about purpose and people and then to end with priority. To get the order right is so key. Come on. Jesus, others. You, come on, some of y'all need to redo your goals for this year, right there, right there. That was extra sermon. That y'all, you're welcome. There you go. I'm just thinking, wow. Thank you, Coach Dabo Sweeney, for such a clear picture of what humility looks like. Are y'all with me? I'm going to ask our worship teams, both campuses, to come back up. And y'all looking at your watch, freaking out, going, what in the world? You're going to get out early today. It's a Christmas miracle. But I think this is a message that needs to marinate a little bit. I mean, I think about these Beatitudes. They're so simple, but they're so packed with so much what God's trying to say. And there's so much in this world that gets in the way of us walking faithfully with Jesus. Listen, when I think about this Sunday, this first Sunday out of the gate, we're on our first Sunday in 2020. I'm going to ask again, who wants to flip the script this year? Who wants to do something different this year? You see, when I think about joy and what God wants for us, are you committed to loving and forgiving the people in your life this year? You see, that's what Jesus said. you got to love God, love others. So are you going to be committed to loving and forgiving the people in your life? Now think about this one for a minute. Think about your families. Think about your friendships. Think about your neighbors. Think about your coworkers, the people you interact with a lot. And if you're going to put Jesus first, are you committed to loving and forgiving this year those people in your life? Now, for some of you, you're like, nah, I got that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to commit to that. Some of you, it's harder because guess what? You've been wounded by some of those people. And you're like, Pastor, you don't know what that person did. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know the betrayal. You don't know the rejection. You don't know. Listen, I don't know, but here's what I do know. You holding on to that as a prison. This year, God's called you to love and to forgive. That's the humility of the whole thing. That's how he loves us. That's how he forgives us. 
Listen, blessed are the poor in spirit. You might say, oh, I can't do that. Well, good news. Guess what? In Jesus, you can. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is. It's about life being centered on Jesus. But let's flip the script, because that would be kind of easy and predictable to say that, Pastor. Let's flip the script. If you keep reading the Sermon on the Mount, he gets to a part in there where he doesn't just say, love your friends and family. He says, love and forgive your enemies. You want to talk about a real application? Think about that one. People that get in your way, block your life, hurt your life, hurt your path, and God's calling you to love and forgive those people? It's time to flip the script. It's hard when you start really putting God's word into practice. And I hope that you get to a place going, I I can't do that. Because then, guess what? You're at the end of your rope. That's a good starting point. That's a good starting point. Because now you know the grace that's going to be required, the mercy that's going to be required, the forgiveness that's going to be required, the relationship with Jesus that's going to be required for you to move forward this year. Come on, who wants 2020 to be different? Let's flip the script. Let's flip the script. Listen, when I look at this, the reason you can't do this is because of one word, one word only. It's pride. Don't let pride rule your life in 2020. Don't let pride be king over you in 2020. That's Jesus' place in your life. Isn't that true? Do you believe that? Jesus lived in such a way that almost seems like, man, how do we live like that? I love how Paul records how Jesus lived and he shared it with the church in Philippi. I think this is one of the richest passages of Scripture in the New Testament. He's talking about the example of Jesus and how Jesus showed that the kingdom of God was ruling over his life, that he didn't come to do his will, he came to do the will of the Father. And here's what it says about Jesus. Come on, look at this, chapter 2, verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in, come on, both campuses, what? Humility. Value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Come on, that mindset is also a word, attitude. Who, being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather what? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a what? servant. Remember that story, Last Supper, Jesus is there. You know, talk about a flip the script moment. At the end of the meal, he gets up, and what does he do? Puts a towel around his waist, basin, and he begins to what? To wash the feet of his followers. You want to talk about flipping the script? That, that didn't happen. They're like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing, Jesus? Listen, he's trying to show them humility is the way forward. You see, our world does greatness the wrong way. We miss it. We miss it. Look at Jesus. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient. Come on. Obedient to what? To death, even death on the cross. You see, Jesus' obedience leads him to a cross where he lays his life down for you and for me. Listen, that's what his obedience required. What is God calling us to? Come on, it's not the cross today. You know what he's calling us to? He's calling us to a life of humility. 
It's calling us. It's going to require us to take a step to trust him. Come on. Listen, Jesus died on a cross. He's might be telling you, shut your mouth. Stop saying what you're saying. His call to you might say, it's time to apologize. Apologize. Apologize to your spouse. Apologize to your parents. Apologize to that friend. Come on, apologize to your kids. Apologize to your stepdaughter. And it might be even further than that. He said, you know what? I put you in their life. I want you to now encourage that person. That person's been waiting on you to say something hopeful in their life. I want you to start saying it. Saying it. I, mean, I just heard something recently. Somebody's got to hear four encouraging words before they'll hear one. Because it takes for four encouragements to cancel out one negative thing in their life. Listen, if you and I took this out of here and practiced this, if everybody in our life, if we took to everybody in our life four encouraging words, that would just break us even with people. Isn't that interesting? But God says, I want you to go further than that. I don't want you just breaking even. Come on. Some of you, this is your homework right now to take this home and start practicing this. Some of you, you need to take this to your job tomorrow at work. You need to figure out, God, how can I serve not just the people I care about, the people I can't stand. How do I serve like Christ in my life? Are y'all with me? This is what it's like to walk with joy in our lives. I want both campuses right now to stand up. You're like, Pastor, I thought you were getting out early. Listen, you're still early. Relax, relax. We're still early. We're still early. I want you to stand up. And here's what I want us to do. There's something powerful about Scripture. And so I want us to say these, this verse again and again and again a couple times together because I want it to come out of your mouth I want it to begin to find its way into your head into your heart what if you begin to even memorize some of these beatitudes this would be a good one to start with today and as we at both campuses say this I think God's trying to speak right now to somebody sitting here with me at Stafford somebody right now at Fredericksburg you've resisted coming but you got here today and God says it's not accidental you're here today Come on, somebody clicked online. You're watching today. You don't ever watch, but you're watching today. And God's talking to you right now. Listen to me. Let's don't miss this moment that the Spirit's having with us. But here's where freedom is found. Come on, if pride's a prison, then humility is our way to freedom. And the most humble way is to admit we need Jesus, right? Are you poor? Are you poor in spirit? Let's say these words together. Come on, both campuses real quick. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One last time. Blessed is the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now watch this for a second. Blessed is the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did y'all pick up on that one? Do you know that all the other ones are saying, will be, will be, will be? It's about the promises that's coming. But this is one that's not coming. This is one that is now. It's, it's right now. It's, it's right now. When Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, it's right now. Come on. The kingdom is coming, yes, but the kingdom's already here. It's now. It's now. Come on. Somebody believes that today. Are you willing to admit you're poor in spirit? Listen, I know the enemies beat you up with that one and shamed you with that one. Turn it back on him. It's a good thing to be poor in spirit. You just admitted you need Jesus. Not just for salvation, but for every day of your life. Come on, one last time, both campuses. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Heaven, God, heaven, God. You get it. Let me ask a question today. 
Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Did you come to a place in your life where you admitted you couldn't save yourself? That you were bankrupt without Him? Did you ever confess Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior over you? I believe today somebody's here on the first Sunday of the year and you're not a follower of Christ and the Holy Spirit right now He's speaking to you. And right now today, He's ready for you to put your faith and trust in Him and only Jesus to save you. Today, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And are you willing to be humble enough to admit that you're a sinner and you need a Savior? I love it. Somebody, God brought you here. here at Fredericksburg, you're online. You're right here with me. Today's going to be your day of trusting and believing. Right now, we got a prayer room here. that We're going to open up the doors. We're going to sing one more song. I challenge you, if you're really courageous today, to say, I need to come right in the middle of the song and get my life right with Christ right now today. You need to go to that room, and we want to talk with you. We want to share with you. We want to pray with you. And then before you walk out of the day, we want to give you a copy of God's Word so that you can what? Walk in the humble words and the humble ways of Jesus. But I'm convinced today... Come on, we're back at a new year. A lot of believers here today. Listen, you're a Christian. My brothers and sisters, you don't need to pray a salvation prayer. You need to get up and start walking with some obedience this year. And it's going to start with you humbling yourselves to say, some things have got to change. Jesus, I can't. I know in you, I can. i got to be humble enough to ask for some help i got to take some spiritual steps this year. And God wants to do it through you. Don't let this be like every other year. Let this be a year that you flip the script. Come on, is that you today? Is that your request today? Then let's sing one more song. And let's walk out of here these next seven days. And let's make Jesus famous by how we love and live and forgive this next seven days. Father God, thank you for what you have spoken over our church today. We are so grateful for your presence here this morning. God, nothing that lasts is apart from you. Everything that lasts is founded upon you. You're an eternal God, and yet, God, you're right here, right now. I love it. Right now, God, you're knocking on the doors of hearts, and there's going to be a few people today they are going to say yes, and they're going to begin a relationship with you right here today. But, God, I believe there's going to be some confession, some repentance of sin, So people turning back to you again and they're going to step into a group and they're going to begin to grow again and they're going to come alive again because they're going to be humble enough to see that that's the best place to be. When we come to the end of our rope, there's more room for you, God, and there's there's more room for your reign in our life. Jesus, your king, be our king today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.